Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Two weeks. That's how many weeks are left in the 2022 regular legislative session. Two weeks. Legislators are a lot like procrastinating college students. Don't expect them to finish the term paper until the night before it's due. Similarly, New Yorkers can expect a frantic flurry of legislative activity before the legislature leaves Albany on or around June 2nd. Many of the issues circling the legislative drain revolve around securing and expanding unfettered abortion access in the Empire State. Governor Kathy Hochul, New York's abortion extremist cheerleader-in-chief, is leading the Planned Parenthood parade. However, those aren't the only topics of discussion in the state capitol. There are also efforts to prohibit discrimination based upon a person's citizenship or immigration status. While others are hoping to expand the reach of racial equity and social justice into more areas of state government. It's another full week, so let's get started. Ever since Justice Samuel Alito's draft opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization was published by Politico on May 2nd, there's been a flurry of legislative activity amongst pro-abortion New York politicians. In a sickening display of devotion to the abortion industry, the abortion-friendly polls have introduced bill after bill that would help cement New York's status as an abortion destination for pregnant women from pro-life states. However, no one in Albany has been more persistent in drawing attention to their abortion advocacy than Governor Kathy Hochul. Governor Hochul has announced her support for a constitutional amendment to enshrine the so-called right to abortion within the Empire State's founding document. At this writing, the amendment has not yet been introduced. Strangely, however, Governor Hochul has already found the time to create and air a television advertisement boasting of her support for the as-yet-unreleased amendment. In the ad, Governor Hochul vows that she will always protect reproductive rights and keep abortion access safe in New York. At New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, we lament the sad state of affairs in Albany in which many politicians draw attention to their enthusiastic embrace of evil. We pray that the heart of Governor Hochul would change and that she would be filled with compassion for the unborn children of New York. Here's another one that's moving in Albany these days. It's the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Program Act. The act begins by declaring that abortion is essential health care and integral to the overall health and well-being of individuals. The proposed pro-abortion legislation would create a grant program within the New York State Department of Health to fund abortion providers and nonprofits that facilitate abortion access. The program would have a three-part purpose increasing access to abortion, paying for abortions for women who cannot afford them, and offering practical support to women seeking abortions, including women traveling to New York to obtain abortions. Specifically, the program would increase abortion access by growing the capacity of abortion providers to meet present and future care needs. Funds would be distributed for the purpose of building new abortion clinics, renovating existing clinics, and staff recruitment and retention. In short, the sponsors of the legislation propose to use New Yorkers' tax dollars to strengthen and expand the abortion industry. They also propose to use tax dollars to help out-of-staters obtain abortions here in the Empire State. According to the Guttmacher Institute, in 2017, 862,230 abortions 
were provided in clinical settings in the United States. Of the total, 105,380 abortions, or 12.2%, were performed in New York. Despite these figures, the sponsor memo accompanying the legislation declares abortion access in the United States to be in a perilous position. According to the memo, if Roe is overturned, abortion access is expected to further erode in at least 26 states across the country. The memo refers to that potential erosion as a human rights violation. The memo calls upon the state of New York to be a leader in the right for abortion justice and to ensure abortion is affordable and available for everyone who needs it. The sponsors of the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Act view abortion as essential health care that is integral to the overall health and well-being of individuals. But this perspective forms the basis for the entire legislation. Because they perceive abortion to be essential, the sponsors naturally contend that any hindrance to abortion access is a violation of human rights. Whatever else abortion may be, however, it is certainly not essential. Abortion is not like food, clothing, or shelter. It is not necessary for survival. Women who become pregnant can carry their pregnancies to term and bear children, and women who do not wish to have children can take steps to avoid pregnancy. The very rhetoric of the pro-choice movement reveals the non-essential nature of abortion. The use of the term choice necessarily implies that abortion is just one of multiple options available to pregnant women. Given that abortion is not essential, the provisions of the proposed legislation cannot be justified. Unfortunately, the state of New York already funds abortion through Medicaid. Why should more of New Yorkers' tax dollars be used to fund an optional and morally repugnant procedure? Since when is growing the capacity of abortion providers to meet present and future care needs a legitimate public policy goal? And what makes it New Yorkers' responsibility to fund the availability of this procedure for people who do not even live here. Another of this legislation's fatal flaws is its blatantly one-sided response to the possibility that Roe v. Wade may be overturned. If the bill's sponsors are truly concerned about the plight of pregnant women in other states who may not have access to abortion in a post-Roe America, why have they not proposed to create a funding stream for abortion alternatives? If the sponsors believe that the state has the money to help abortion providers expand their operations, why not help adoption agencies to do the same? This legislation is an extremist measure that seeks to use New Yorkers' hard-earned money to create a funding stream for the abortion industry. It must not become law. So as we can see, in anticipation of an upcoming Supreme Court decision that could fully or partially overturn Roe v. Wade, the abortion industry in New York is gearing up for an increased level of activity. Specifically, abortion clinics anticipate that such a decision could result in a significant increase in the number of women coming from pro-life states to receive abortions here. According to the New York Times, leaders of abortion funds which assist people who face financial and logistical barriers are ramping up fundraising efforts. Providers are studying the law to understand whether they are protected if they treat patients from states where abortion is illegal, and community groups are spreading the word about medication abortions. Meanwhile, abortion funds, which help abortion patients arrange and pay for their procedures, say they are already seeing growing demand this year. 
Now, it's no surprise that abortion providers are moving to prepare for a potential increase in demand for their services. For many, the provision of abortion services is the main purpose of their organization's existence. It is also their cash cow. In response, however, New York's pro-life community must also step up its efforts. What actions can we take to expand the capacity of our pro-life pregnancy centers? How can we connect with abortion-minded women from other states in an effort to persuade them to change course? And what politicians can we support who will stand with us? Now, turning to another topic, there's legislation in Albany that would make it unlawful in the state of New York to discriminate on the basis of citizenship or immigration status in housing, employment, credit, and places of public accommodation. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms takes no position on the proposal to ban discrimination on the basis of citizenship. However, it should not be against the law for New Yorkers to take an unlawful act. In this case, the act of residing in the United States illegally into account when making decisions about housing or credit. In essence, the proposed legislation would require landlords, lenders, and other New Yorkers not only turn a blind eye to another person's unlawful conduct, but also to share in the risks and burdens created by that conduct. If this bill should become law, the following scenario could result. A landlady advertises a vacancy in her four-unit apartment building in Flushing. An acquaintance of hers submits a rental application. Because she knows the applicant, the landlady knows that the applicant resides in the United States illegally. Furthermore, she has heard rumors that immigration authorities have been pursuing the applicant. The landlady is concerned that if she rents the apartment to the applicant, the applicant could be detained or deported at any time, and she could be left with an unwanted vacancy in her apartment building. However, she knows that if she declines to rent the apartment to the applicant, she could be held liable for discrimination on the basis of immigration status. The landlady is left to choose between doing what she believes is right, renting to an applicant who is a lawful U.S. resident, and doing what the law requires, exposing herself and her family to risk by renting to an illegal immigrant. Here's another scenario that could result from the passage of this bill. During a mortgage application process, a Syracuse lender becomes aware that an applicant resides in the United States unlawfully. Understandably, the lender is concerned that the applicant's uncertain immigration status makes her a high-risk applicant. If the applicant is detained or deported, the likelihood that she would be unable to pay her mortgage would increase substantially. In this scenario, this bill would require the lender to choose between making a good business decision based on the available information and ignoring the available information to avoid running afoul of state anti-discrimination law. The scenarios laid out above are unfair and unacceptable. New York currently bans discrimination on basis of criteria like race, color, and national origin. The state bans discrimination based on these criteria based on the belief that it is unjust and un-American to subject a person to discrimination based upon a characteristic over which he has no control and which has no bearing on his ability to fulfill his responsibilities. Immigration status, however, is a different matter. Except in circumstances where a person has been brought to the United States against her will or has been brought to the U.S. during childhood, a person who resides in the U.S. unlawfully has chosen to do so. 
The principles here are simple. New York law should not require anyone to act against their own best interests by failing to consider another person's unlawful conduct when making decisions in areas like housing and credit. Also, New York law should not protect anyone from discrimination based upon that person's commission of an unlawful act. Accordingly, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms opposes Bill Senate 6586, sponsored by Senator Liu, and Assembly 6328, sponsored by Assemblymember Catalina Cruz. And finally today, there's another piece of legislation which provides for the establishment of an Office of Racial Equity and Social Justice within the executive branch of New York government. This bill is also deeply misguided and should not become law. The proposed Office of Racial Equity and Social Justice would be charged with a series of far-reaching responsibilities. Among other things, the office would coordinate changes in policy and state resource allocation to prevent race or social justice constructs from predicting an individual's success. In addition, the office would oversee the establishment and implementation of a racial equity and social justice action plan. The office would also provide racial equity and social justice training for all state workers and would conduct racial equity and social justice reviews. This bill's vagueness and loose language would give government appointees nearly unfettered discretion to call for policy changes and fiscal changes based on broad subjective notions of so-called social justice. We remain opposed. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update, or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.